Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you all are having an enjoyable day, and I hope that after today's message, you will, um, I think, gain a bit of a a perspective, uh, a bit better perspective on uh, the story of Jacob, the person of Jacob in the book of Genesis. So the life that we see of Jacob recorded in um, in Genesis is a it, it's one of my favorite stories. It's one of the more captivating stories, um, obviously because to me it's it's obviously captivating because it's a man um, who experiences both triumphs and tribulations, and that is relatable, right? That's that's true for all of us. Um, from <clears throat> from Jacob's birth. Uh, Jacob's life is marked by a series of events that shape his character, and this is true for all of us. We are the product of all of the pieces of our story that have gone before us, and so uh, this, the life of Jacob is is the shaping of his character, it's the testing of his faith, and ultimately, um, it is what leads to his transformation. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the story, and we're going to kind of explore key moments and lessons that, uh, if we're Paying attention can and will inspire us and uh, and help us to to live out a life that is godly, um, but it's going to come with a bit of uh, a bit of a study on how we result in godliness through a bunch of ungodly nonsense, right? And so this is this is kind of Jacob's story. The first piece that we're going to look at is uh, providence and purpose for Jacob. Jacob's life begins with a unique and dramatic entrance into the world. He wasn't born of a virgin, but it's still strange. And so even in the womb, he and his brother Esau, according to the scripture, are said to be struggling with one another. Um, how many of you have kids that still struggle with each other outside of the womb, right? Yeah, yeah it's, it's unreal, right? Could you imagine you're in the pregnancy stage and you're like, is this really... Is this really what's going to happen, right? So the foreshadowing is just constant fighting, and so they're struggling, and that foreshadows in the story, it foreshadows the conflicts that are going to actually shape their relationship. The differences in these twin boys is... It's interesting, and it unfolds throughout the story, right? Esau emerges first, and the Bible uh, describes Esau. He's, he's red, and he's hairy. Uh, I have no idea, but, you know, he's red, and he's hairy. And what we learn later is that Esau seems to be this kind of like... Um, kind of a woodsy guy. He seems to be a rough guy around the edges and and just works really hard, all of that. And then you have Jacob, who is by no means soft, but Jacob is just a very different uh, person. So it seems more that we we encounter a, a guy who is who is a little bit more calculating, right? He's he's going to shape the story based on how he thinks and how he can uh, pull things together. In the story, though, as Esau comes out, Jacob is soon to follow by grabbing onto Esau's heel. And according to the scripture, this is why he is named Jacob, okay? So imagine you're naming your children, right? You're, you're, 
you want to have your kids and you want to name them something that is reflective of their personality. Uh, Sarah and I wanted this for our girls. We wanted their names to mean something. We wanted, hopefully, their names to reflect something in their character or maybe even uh, prophetically speak that into their lives so that they might be that. Um, but can you imagine, you ask your, your parents, you're like, so why'd you name me Heel Grabber? Because you're a heel grabber, right? Like, like, really? That's as deep as my name goes? Yeah, you little usurper. Get back in there. Anyway, so, right, go to your room. So, so his name means heel grabber or it means supplanter. Um, just so everybody knows around here, not everybody with the name Jacob is a usurper. That's a really good thing. I'm glad for that. But anyway, so, so this is why he's named this because he's, he's already trying to take this position. Jacob's early years were marked by uh, a deep connection with his mother. Uh, Rebecca is an interesting character in the story, and she favors Jacob. We often remember the story of, of Jacob favoring Joseph. Uh, we may have other stories where we look towards favorites, but in this we have a mom who favors Jacob, and she recognizes his potential and and potentially the, uh, the significance of the prophetic word that is given uh, to her about the, the younger uh, leading the older. Genesis 25, 23 is where we find it. And I'll kind of set a little bit of a, a context here. Isaac is actually praying to the Lord on behalf of his wife in verse 21 because she's barren. And so he prays on behalf of her that she would conceive. And then it says, but the children struggled together within her womb, verse 22. And she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? And I explained this a couple of weeks ago. You know, why am I still alive? Why This doesn't make sense. Something is wrong within my womb. That's how violent it, it appears their struggle was. Um, so she went to inquire of the Lord. And I love this reality. Uh, Isaac prays on behalf of his wife. She is wondering what's happening, and the only person we see God responding to is actually Rebecca. And he says to Rebecca, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. This sounds a lot like the angel speaking to Mary in the New Testament and giving her prophetic words, giving her uh, a reality of what's going to happen, and yet her not fully understanding it. it. It appears that Rebecca somehow connects this at some point and says, Jacob is supposed to be the guy, and so I am, she favors Jacob and she works for Jacob and she tries to uh, bring about this scenario. This favoritism, though, is later going to play a significant role in tensions within Jacob's family. I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, it's all right to play favorites. I have my favorite children. I don't tell them who it is, but anyway, it's, it's it, no. But the, I think the challenge, though, with that comes, um, there, are, there are kids that you children that you love according to personality, according to traits, according to whatever it is, common bonds, um, but that will and can cause tension. Why? Because the natural question is, so are you loving them more than you love me? And that doesn't have to be the case, right? It doesn't have to be who loves who more. It just happens to be like interest or things like this. So Rebecca loves Jacob and she begins to work to bring about this um, prophetic purpose. From an early age, though, Jacob displays his resourcefulness and his cunning. And this is where the story gets very interesting. And it, and it begs us to consider 
philosophical and moral questions. We, we have to wrestle with these. One notable incident, though, occurs when he takes advantage of his brother Esau, uh, who is got back, he's just returned from hunting, and he's hungry. And so uh, Jacob goes in and says, I'll trade you this bowl of soup for your entire birthright. I mean, this kid just goes for broke, right? He's just going all the way in. And so this act of uh, shrewdness on Jacob's part actually enables him to seize one of the biggest opportunities of his life. It does, or it seems to reveal, though, uh, a willingness on Jacob's part to manipulate or to exploit others for personal gain. Now, here is where the moral dilemma comes in. Jacob is willing to do this. He's willing to, uh, he's willing to usurp or willing to kind of be his namesake. He's willing to manipulate or exploit this situation. Uh, but what we have to wrestle with is whether or not he's doing something wrong in this. And I know you might look at that and go, of course he's doing something wrong, Nathan. Manipulation is always bad. Manipulation is not always bad. And here's what I mean by that. If you take a lump of clay that is not formed and you shape it into something, what have you done to the clay? You have manipulated the clay. You manipulate things all the time. The question is, to what end? What is your objective? Is it good? Right? And then you have to ask questions like this. Maybe the end is an ideal end, but maybe your method wasn't good. That's what we're going to learn in this story. There's a lot of methods that are problematic, but the ends still result in godliness. In this situation, Jacob is never really reprimanded by God for these actions. Why is that? I don't know. I have no answer for the question. Uh, It is challenging, though, because you look at it and you say, I think God should have stepped in and said, sorry, bud. Birthright belongs to the guy who the birthright belongs to. And it doesn't matter how much Campbell's soup you feed him. It's not, it's not changing the story, right? But, but it does. It literally alters the story and God doesn't shift anything. Now, scholars talk about it and say, well, look at the effects that it has on Jacob's life. And that is the consequence. Well, let me give you an example of something like that. There's a time with David, right? You all remember the story of David and Bathsheba and the child that is born out of this wrong, um, wrongly entered into relationship, okay? And so this problem results in a child dying, but... God told him that it was wrong, and then there's a consequence. With Jacob, we don't see God going, what the heck were you doing, right? Instead, it's just he gets it, okay? And I'm going to come back to this in a second to talk about um, what appears to be Jacob's passion for that which is favorable in his culture, that which is desired, the father's blessing. Uh, Jacob seems to want it, while Esau doesn't care, And I think that that is a lesson we should think about or an idea that we should think about far more than Jacob's weirdness here or how Jacob goes about this. But let's think about shrewdness, for example. Uh, Not only is Jacob not punished, but this idea of shrewdness is actually promoted and taught by none other than Jesus himself. And you're going, whoa, Nathan, this is a problem. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. 
Luke chapter 16. And this is a fascinating story, and there's a lot of depth to it, but I'll give you a, a, a fun kind of bird's eye view with this. So we, we roll into Luke 16, Jesus is teaching people, and he says to his disciples, there was a rich man, verse 1, who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. Now we're going to later realize that it's not just the title given to the story, the unrighteous steward, it's actually something spoken of the person in the story, but here's what it says. Uh, The manager was reported to have squandered his possessions, verse 2, and he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. For you can no longer be manager. Verse 3. The manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do. So that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors and he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said, take your bill, sit down, and quickly write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now let's read that one more time. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. Whose money was it that he was giving away? The master's money. It was the master himself who said, way to go. Hold on. This does not seem right, okay? It just does not seem right, okay? So his master praises him and says, you acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Now that's a It's an indictment right there. But anyway, he goes on. He says, and I say to you, make friends for yourself. This is Jesus speaking, right? And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of wealth of unrighteousness. Okay. So that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in very little is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in very little uh, is unrighteous also in much. Now, it's a challenging story, and there's a lot of complexity to it. What I want us to realize is that the master is not actually saying, um, you're an awesome guy for being manipulative. He's actually not saying that. What he's saying is, when I see your predicament... When I recognized, when you recognized where you were in this story, you did one of the wisest things a human can do. You realized if I put you out, you got nothing. So what did you do? You took the relationships that you had and you made something of them so that you wouldn't be destitute. See, the, the, the master is actually praising the shrewdness of the servant, unrighteous as he may be, and we're going to see this parallel in Jacob and God, right? As unrighteous as he may be, he praises the wisdom of this person to be able to result in a better end. This is the lesson that all of us need to understand. God is not always okay with our methods. He's not always okay with our methods. 
But he may praise you for being wise in getting to another end, to a, to a right end, okay? Jacob is working the situation going, what do I want? I want my father's blessing. I also want my inheritance. I want this. It's more important to me than anything, and I'll stop at nothing to get it. Sounds a whole lot like selling everything you own and buying a field that contains a treasure that is of insurmountable value. Right? The idea is you will do anything it takes to get that blessing. Don't confuse, though, the steps you take sometimes as being approved by God. Okay? Jacob did things that were not, were not good. They got to the end. They accomplished the goal. But they were not great methods, okay? The same thing with the unrighteous servant. His method was not something that the master is going to be like, I love it when people steal my money. That doesn't make sense. The master was looking at it going, that is smart because you know you have nothing without me. That is smart. So God does these kinds of things and he observes this and he even, uh, he can even praise the end instead of the means. Now this is challenging for us because we as humans get so caught up on the means that we will crucify a person and excommunicate them when, what were they doing? They were fighting for life. They were trying to get themselves to a better position. What I would recommend us do is take a deep breath and look at how God might react to those situations. Sometime you have to wrestle with the fact that Jesus himself says, use unrighteous gain to get yourself ahead. What? What does that mean? Okay, well, there's some challenges there, right? So while Jacob's actions may not have initially reflected the character of godliness, they do set the stage for a transformative journey. His birthright acquisition, right, his gaining this foreshadows his future role as the recipient of God's covenant promises and the blessings that would shape the destiny of his descendants. He wants what is best. He wants it with everything he's got and he's willing to take any step necessary, okay? Jacob's early experience also teaches uh, also taught him valuable lessons about the consequences of his actions. His deceptive practices do later come back to haunt him, or at least they appear to be the result of, of his actions, as he encounters similar deceit from others, and you'll learn this later when he encounters Laban, and he's looking for a wife. He's like, that's the girl I want. She's beautiful. That's the one I want. And Laban's like, how about her sister? You know, and, and he sneaks this whole situation in. It's really a strange story, okay? So uh, that gets paid back to him. The same thing we could look at with Joseph's story later in Genesis as a bit of, um, if you want to look at it this way, this is generating meaning. It's totally uh, conjecture. You would say uh, maybe Jacob's uh, Jacob's loss of Joseph and uh, of his son Joseph for a long period of time was actually a punishment for all of the other deceit that he did. You would totally be making that up, but it's possible that you could connect those. Uh, I, I guess you could logically connect those. It's important to note that despite Jacob's flaws and questionable decisions, God's plan was always to work inside of his life. Um, 
I've said this before, sometimes God works in our life despite us, right? Um, sometimes he's working in our life in spite of us. He's, he's looking or um, in, in association with our character. And sometimes it's, he's working even against who we are, kind of the brokenness of our hearts. Through Jacob's imperfect actions, God would ultimately accomplish his purpose. He would teach Jacob valuable lessons along the way. And this reminds us that even in our shortcomings and mistakes, God can work through us and bring about his redemptive plans. How many of you are grateful that even through your shortcomings, God can still work out a plan? You know, where we find this principle in the New Testament, right? Romans 8. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It does not say God works all things together for the good of those who never screw up. I'm really grateful for that. It doesn't say God works all things together for the good of those uh, who are Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, right? It's, it doesn't talk about this. It's God is working all things together for those who love him. And guess what? In my pursuit of loving God, I have been on mountaintops and I've been on valleys. I have been in uh, lockstep obedience and I have been in outright rebellion, okay? This is just a part of our journey. I'm not suggesting you have fun in that outright re rebellion, but I am saying that God is faithful nonetheless, amen? So as we reflect on Jacob's birth and these early years, we're actually challenged to examine our lives and be mindful of the consequences of our actions. So let me talk briefly about this manipulation piece that I shared just a second ago. Manipulation is not always wrong, but you have to ask what your outcome is or what, what your aim is, what your goal is in this. Um, it, you can be wrong on two fronts. You can have, with manipulation, you can, you can aim for selfishness. It's just you, 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 you. How many of you have done that? Yes. All of us have done it, right? So we manipulate for our selfish gain. We do this at work. We do this at home. We do this at play. Whatever we're doing, right? Sometimes that happens. The other way that you can be wrong in manipulation is what we see repeatedly through the story of Abraham's line, which is trying to bring about God's promises our own way. This is something that we do an awful lot, right? Abraham's like, I need a child. Sarah's not producing Let's go with this. Uh, let's go with this servant. No, that's not the way it was supposed to be done, and God corrects it. Right? Isaac, she's not my wife. She's my sister. That was an outright lie. That's just not true. Okay. So that is trying to preserve. Jacob may be doing the same thing with with these ways of doing things. He's trying to get to that advanced position where the younger is leading the older. And this is not good. But this is how manipulation can go wrong. If we are trying to manipulate a situation to bring about God's perfect plan in our life. So, for example, how many of you want to have perfect, really awesome, connected families? Awesome. I want that too. And it's still, you know, like, I moved them in. I live with them now at just to try to make this work, right? No. So, so you, you, you want to have this connected family. It's beautiful. Everything's good. How many of you get really discouraged when there's a wrench thrown in that? How many of you have tried to manipulate it and bring it back to peace? Yeah, yeah. Every single one of us has. You know what you ought to do? Take a deep freaking breath and trust God, <laughs> right? Hey, Lord, my life is chaos and I need your help. My kids look like crazy people. I need your help. That's what you got to do, right? 
It, this is really, really important. So manipulation is not always a bad thing. Be careful with it. If it's selfish gains or you're trying to take it out of God's hands, you need to be careful with what you're, uh, with what you're doing with your manipulations. Jacob's journey teaches us the importance of aligning our choices with God's will and recognizing that his plans often surpass our limited understanding and our ability to carry it out. I just don't have the ability to carry out what God wants, right? It's, just, it's beyond me. He, he seems to use me in those stories for some reason, but it's still him at work, really important. It encourages us to trust God's faithfulness, even when we struggle with our own weakness and when we struggle with our own failings. In the subsequent stages of Jacob's life, we're going to witness his growth and transformation in ways in which God uh, molds him into a man of faith, and then he highlights redemption throughout his story and his redemptive power. The second piece that we need to look at is deception and blessing today. One of the most significant moments in Jacob's life was his quest for his father's blessing. So he wants this. Now we're just going to kind of zoom in on this. Isaac, nearing old age and with failing eyesight, intends to bestow his final blessing upon who? Esau, his elder son. However, who helps Jacob? Mama. So if mom's behind it, it's okay. No, anyway, right? Okay, however, Rebecca, right, Jacob's mom, devises this plan to secure the blessing for Jacob instead. Moms, you can do this manipulation too. Be careful with it. Be careful with it, okay? Rebecca is also never reprimanded for this, but we all look at it and go, was that exactly the right thing to do? I'm not sure, okay? It may be that Rebecca, just like Jacob, is trying to take this outside of God's hands and do things her own way. Remember who got the prophetic message. It was Rebecca. By the way, these are your sons, and this younger one is going to lead over this one. And so she's looking at it going, how do I make that happen, okay? Um, And then it would be really hard to find out if you were Jacob, years later, you were only your mom's favorite because she knew you would lead. <laughs> anyway, no, that's not, that's not exactly why the case. But anyway, okay, so ultimately, though, this weird situation is concocted, and Jacob initially hesitates to pers- participate in his mom's scheme. But he ultimately agrees to disguise himself as Esau. This is really a weird depiction in the story, right? He disguises himself as Esau. He wears Esau's clothing. Why? So he can smell like his brother. Uh, He covers his smooth skin with animal skin. How hairy was this kid, right? This is unbelievable, right? With animal skin. Not not only that, what kind of of hair are we talking about here? That's got to be some coarse hair, right? And then he mimics, so he mimics his brother in every way. He puts it on his arms and his neck. Lord, child, like get a razor, you know, I mean, this is bad. Anyway, so in this act of of deception, Jacob presents himself to Isaac as who? Esau. He does not go in and just say, honestly, I'm Jacob. He's lying here. He is manipulating, I believe, for selfish gains. I think this is one of those challenging moments, right? And so he seeks his father's blessing. Isaac is unable to discern the truth due to his failing eyesight. 
dad. Like, get some glasses. You are so blind if you can't tell this apart, right? So, so he's unable to discern this, failing eyesight, and he's deceived. And, and here's where it really messes with the hyper-spiritual in our church world, okay? Jacob, Isaac bestows the blessing on Jacob, believing him to be Esau, okay? Who does Jacob think he's blessed? Or who does Isaac think he's blessed? Esau. He thinks he's blessed Esau. Why doesn't the blessing just just transfer with the intended recipient? Because blessing is not just spiritual. It is not some, I intend to bless Esau, so therefore Esau is it. There is a physical reality to the blessings in the scripture, and they don't make sense. But whatever happened, and here's the really powerful thing, whatever happened here, it was not reversible bullcrap. I'd be like, no, dad, take it back, right? The fact is you owed it to me. You gave it to me. You thought it was me. There's so many times in our like hyper-spiritual brains, we think that because we think something that the spiritual reality of it will come true. There is a physical component of it, so it really doesn't matter. You can want or hope for a, for a spiritual reality, but the physical thing will take place, period. So Jacob, can't, Jacob is getting it, and Esau can't do a thing about it, right? So this blessing carries immense significance as it is included not only material wealth, but also spiritual inheritance and authority. Jacob now is top dog. Esau has to abide by it. Isaac understands it. Rebecca planned it, right? Everybody else in the, in the household knows that this is true. It is a physical reality, not just a spiritual warm fuzzy, okay? How do we interpret this? What meaning are we to generate from this? Well, it could be that the deceptive blessing reveals the flawed character of Jacob and the lengths he was willing to go to secure his desired outcome. Or, if we're going to generate meaning, it could be that Jacob wanted it more than Esau ever did. That is praised in the scripture. His actions could be displaying a lack of trust in God's promise or reliance on his efforts, so therefore he manipulates. Or, because of, their, because of a lack of correction, it could possibly be that, again, he just goes after the blessing and he'll stop at nothing and he is shrewd in his actions. The whole episode could underscore the dysfunctional dynamic of Jacob's family with each member vying for personal gain and favoritism, or it could all be prophetic fulfillment, or it could be both. That's really challenging when we're trying to generate meaning from these crazy stories. However, amidst the deception, God's sovereign plan is not only at work, but carried out. Isn't that fascinating? So, so what do we learn? If God has a plan, what can stop it? Nothing. Nothing can stop it. You know what that sounds a lot like? The New Testament. Who can separate us from the love of God? No one. That's a pretty powerful reality because guess what? The spiritual reality of a salvation, the spiritual reality of a blessing, the spiritual reality of protection is actually a physical reality as well, and it's irreversible. It's pretty strong, pretty strong.
Now, before we get into questions of whether or not that is advocating for once saved, always saved, I'm not. I'm simply saying God's blessings are real. The means by which those blessings come are very important. By grace through faith. That blessing is attached to trust. God's blessing that is irreversible is attached to trust. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? That's the question that needs to be answered in a personal way, right? So uh, God, God's sovereign plan is at work. He has already determined that the older would serve the younger. Uh, and he has revealed that Rebecca, uh, he revealed that to Rebecca when they were born. Through Jacob, God was orchestrating the fulfillment of his covenant promises that were given to Abraham and his father Isaac before him. The deceptive blessing served as a pivotal moment in Jacob's life, leading to significant consequences. Now, here's where we get to probably not a great way of manipulating a situation. It strained his relationship with Esau. His brother felt betrayed and vowed to take revenge. How many of you would be on board with that? Yeah, you're like, I'm going to kill you. I mean, kids actually say this to each other, but these two were serious, right? So Jacob was forced to flee from his homeland to escape Esau's wrath, setting the stage for a period of um, what will ultimately be a lot of personal growth for Jacob and spiritual encounters and cool stuff like that. In this aspect of Jacob's journey, we are confronted with the consequences of deceit and manipulation. Uh, we learn that shortcuts and deceitful tactics may yield temporary gains. Remember this, everybody. It may yield temporary gains, but it can and often does lead to long-lasting consequences and strained relationships. If you try to force or manipulate a human relationship in your life, if you're the one behind it and people find out, guess what happens often? They no longer want to have a thing to do with you. Be careful with your attempts. Be careful with your attempts. Because what you do today might have a consequence tomorrow, which is a nobody wants to have anything to do with you. Be careful with those things, right? So we learn that shortcuts and deceitful tactics may yield temporary gains, but we've got to be careful with those. Jacob's story challenges to consider our own actions and motivations, right, urging us to... Uh, prioritize what I think we should prioritize is integrity and honesty and then um, ultimately trust God. Trust God. Does God have a plan for you? Does God have a plan for you, church? Yes, he does. It may not be as providential as the people through whom the covenant blessings will flow, but that's okay. As recipients of Jesus, we have every promise under heaven. Isn't that amazing? It would be, in my mind, that we are on the better end of this with far fewer unknowns and far fewer doubts than ever before. It's also important to note that despite Jacob's deceitful actions, God did not abandon him. <laughs> in his faithfulness, God continued to guide and shape Jacob's life using um, consequences and uh, using the consequences of his choices to teach him valuable lessons and then ultimately mold him into the man of God that Jacob becomes. Um, as, we, as we consider Jacob's dece deception and the results being the blessing, I really think you, you should repeatedly consider your tendency to manipulate or deceive in pursuit of your desires. Um, if it is done in the 
if it is done for the aim of God and it is and it is this is a hard line to walk if it is done for the aim of God and it is done I suppose what I would say is with express understanding of what you're supposed to be doing then go have fun with it be blessed in what you do but be very careful be very careful with manipulation because it's because it can be dangerous so honesty again integrity and God's will third and final piece is the journey and the encounter with God for Jacob so after fleeing from his brother Esau's anger and I'm zooming through this story guys and we're gonna we'll slow down and go back over pieces of it as we go but Jacob embarks on a journey that would become pivotal uh, in his life during the time of physical and emotional displacement that Jacob had, uh, he has a profound encounter with God at Bethel. And this is important for all of us to think through what it means to encounter the living God. Uh, as night fell for Jacob, Jacob uses a stone as a pillow because pillows suck. Anyway, so he uses a stone as a pillow and he falls into a deep sleep. And in his sleep, he experiences this powerful dream. And you guys all know the dream. He sees a ladder that's extending uh, from earth to heaven. And there's angels ascending and descending upon it. And above the ladder stands who? The Lord, right? And so who? the Lord reaffirms this covenant uh, that he makes with Abraham and Isaac. And God promises Jacob land and descendants and divine presence to protect and to guide him. When Jacob awakes from the dream, he's actually filled with awe and reverence, uh, recognizing that he had encountered God himself, right? He had encountered the presence of God. Overwhelmed by this, this is what Jacob says. Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. There's a couple of ways that maybe we could generate some meaning to interpret this. It could be that Jacob is unfamiliar with God enough that he doesn't recognize his presence. There's a hard problem with that uh, philosophically because he is used by God but doesn't seem to know God, that would be a little bit challenging. The other thought is that Jacob finally realizes for the first time in his life, God is with him wherever he goes, but he doesn't know it until this moment. And then all of a sudden, he recognizes God is in this place and he is humbled by this. Now, what I want us to focus on, regardless of which one of those is true, what I want us to focus on is what Jacob does as a result of the presence of God. This encounter marks this profound shift in Jacob's journey, and it awakens this spiritual uh, moment in his life. So Genesis 28, verse 16, let's start there. Genesis 28, and I promise I'm getting to the end quickly. Uh, Genesis 28, 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Okay, so he's, something about this dream and this vision and everything that he's encountered is just immense to him. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head. So think about the, this altar is actually a pillow. So he put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. And he called the name of that place 
Bethel, Ohio. No, he called it Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take, look at Jacob's reaction, and will keep me on this journey that I take, and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, this is the very blessings that Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6, will come with those who seek the kingdom, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house, and all uh, that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Here's Jacob's reaction to encountering God. Fear, reverence, trust, and giving. It's fascinating to me. Fear and reverence, you might blend those together. Trust in the Lord, and then he's willing to give. This is an idea of, of paying homage to a king. He's, he's recognizing who's truly in charge, truly who is king. My My statement to you, church, today is that if you have encountered the living God, it will profoundly change every aspect of your life. And if every aspect of your life has not been changed, I won't say you haven't encountered God. I will say that the depth to which you've encountered God is lacking. Does that make sense? Right? So... When you know that God has redeemed you from a pit, what is your reaction? Like, hallelujah, I'm not dead, right? When God has paid all of your debts and you no longer owe for basically the highest, steepest debt you could ever owe, which is your very life, God has paid for it, your response would be what? Hallelujah, thank you, Lord, I'll do whatever you ask. When God has saved you from oppression and chaos all around you, and he says, come and follow me, what's your response? I'll do whatever you want. That is what happens when you encounter the living God. When Peter encounters the living God in the boat, he falls on his face. When the church in America encounters the living God, they go, ah, What would you think of service today? Hear me. When the church encounters the living God today, we go, ah, maybe I'll give some money later. I know, preacher and a money talk, don't worry. It's the first time in 12 years I've even said it. So anyway, but here's the issue. When we encounter God, it profoundly changes who we are. And we ought to be looking at our life and saying, am I profoundly changed? Am I profoundly changed? Because the next question needs to be, how have I truly encountered God? That's the question we need to be asking. And then when you want to seek after God and when you want to give him everything that you have and when you, when you knock on that door and you ask and you seek, you will receive, you will find, you will have doors open to you. And I'm not talking prosperity nonsense. I'm simply telling you that God is a God who is faithful and he will never let you fall. So if you've encountered God, it should change your very actions. It should change every part of you. This encounter, again, 
creates this profound shift in Jacob's journey, and it awakens his spiritual awareness, deepens his understanding of God and God's faithfulness. Jacob realizes that God was not confined to a particular place. He is not limited by human circumstances. He doesn't need Jacob's mama to help him figure it out. He recognizes that God was present and actively involved in his life, even in the midst of uncertainties. Guess what, church? The same is true for you. Why is the same true for you? Because in Christ, every blessing is yours. So why do we worry? Why do we worry, Barney Estes? Why do we worry? Well, I'll be the first to tell you, I do. I'm just telling you, I don't exactly have a good reason why. I literally have God owning everything and saying, I've got you. And I'm sitting here going, but do you have me? Are you like me at all? Yeah, this is the problem in my life. So I struggle with this. But God says he's going to do this. In response to this encounter, Jacob makes a vow. He dedicates himself and his future to God. He declares that if God would faithfully fulfill his promise, then Jacob will serve him all the days of his life. He will make the Lord his God, and he'll give a tenth of his possessions as an offering. Who, what is this response? This is the response to a king. This is the response to somebody who's really in charge. This encounter at Bethel highlights several important themes in Jacob's life. It underscores the faithfulness of God, that he upholds his covenant promises despite Jacob's stupidity. It emphasizes the importance of recognizing God's presence and seeking his guidance in every aspect of life. And it also illustrates the transformative power of encountering God when you when you come face to face with him, when you realize who he actually is. So again, we saw all of this uh, through this encounter. In our lives, Jacob's journey uh, and encounter with God should be a reminder for the same things, right? Everything is true. There is a transformative power of encountering the divine. When we open ourselves to God's presence, we will experience a deepened sense of um, purpose, a deepened sense of commitment, a deepened sense, uh, a deepened sense of faithfulness. We will do that. If you are trying to make yourself more disciplined, if you are trying to make yourself more faithful, if you are trying to make yourself all these things, you have missed the fact that even self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God. You must rely on God. Amen. You must rely on God. He is, he is in and before and through all things, okay? So in our lives, uh, this, this is our reminder. Jacob is our reminder, along with many others. So in conclusion, today, the life of Jacob is um, it's a, an amazing story of faith. It's an amazing story of struggles. It's an amazing story of redemption, which we'll get more to. From birth and early years, it is marked by divine providence, it is also marked by human manipulation to try to bring about those results. But God never falters. He never loses sight of what's going on. I want to encourage you today that you are a part, again, of the promise of God. You, you have every blessing, every promise in Christ Jesus. And there's, there's a significance to the interpretation of that. Um, but every blessing is yours in Christ Jesus if you and I can walk simply by saying, okay, Lord, I don't know the outcome of tomorrow, but I trust you. We're in the best place we can be. 
if we can if we can look at our, our home life and our business life and our, our life with our friends and we can say, okay, God, I'm not sure the outcome of all these things, but I do know that you care about me. I do know that you want me to have these relationships or good relationships and I'm going to trust you, then God will come through. God will come through in all those things. The last thing that I want to encourage you to, though, is that if you encounter God, it will profoundly change you. So look at your actions. Please look at your actions. Look at the way you think, look at the way you love, look at the way you give, look at the way you do everything in life. If it is not changed, run to God. If it is not changed, run to God. Because that's how it profoundly changes us. Amen.